As we turn to the scriptures now, as we ask you to use it to speak to children around the world, we want to ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now, that you would find in us, Lord, a hunger for your word. Um, As we declared in that song, I love your voice, that the love for your voice would be expressed in a receptivity and openness, a responsiveness to your word now. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So let me invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah 9. Appreciated last week Ryan's look at David and the glory of God. Uh, I hope you were challenged in that, and I also hope that you recognize the hand of the Lord upon that young man. I want to... Just share with you before we jump in Nehemiah 9, uh, an encouragement that you not just give ear to the scriptures when you're here, but that you would have uh, taken the opportunity to read the scriptures on a regular basis outside of here. We, a couple weeks ago, gave the challenge that we could read the New Testament between now and year end if we just took 12 minutes, three chapters a day, we could read the whole New Testament together. And some of you have probably jumped in. Some of you have maybe started and then fell off already, and you're like, ah, it's too late. It's not too late. Let me encourage you uh, with this story to jump back in. Uh, This individual says, we decided to begin the New Testament in 90 days as a family. I knew my husband and I would be able to read through it ourselves, but I wanted to figure out a way to include our young daughter as well. I realized there would rarely be the perfect time or place, right? But I've been encouraged in recent years that it's good to invite God's word into the chaos and the loud, So I've begun playing the audio Bible app in car line while we're getting ready in the mornings, while we're working in the kitchen or watering plants or playing with Play-Doh, wherever, whenever. One day in the kitchen, as we were listening to that day's reading, I had a vision of God's word splashing over and dripping down the walls in our house. It was a reminder to me that his word has power all by itself. And while nothing replaces personal Bible study, there is power in simply simply letting his words wash over us right in the middle of our messy and mundane. Since starting the readings, there has been a noticeable increase in the peace and joy in our home. Seriously noticeable. Our schedule hasn't changed, but we're feeling less hurried and more at peace. We are experiencing the daily blessing of having God's living and active word moving and working inside our four walls. Why didn't we start this sooner? Yeah. (laughs) I hope that does encourage you. And just that picture of the word of God just splashing into your life and splashing onto your messy and mundane. So maybe you started, maybe you didn't start, maybe you felt overwhelmed. You don't have to do the New Testament in 90 days. If you're already reading something else, go for it. What I want to encourage is this, living and active. God's voice. This is it. And so I was so struck when we sang that song. Uh, I've sung it before, I just never uh, caught that phrase. Uh, I love your voice, Lord. I thought, I do. And and this is it. This is his voice. And when we love it, we want to listen to it. So I encourage you to to be reading. All right, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 9 together today. Just context where we are in Nehemiah 9 and restoring the broken and burned. The walls are rebuilt. The gates are hung. And so now he has moved from restoring the wall to restoring the people. Because those people were broken and burned as well. And so they needed to be restored like the walls. And so he began by installing new leadership, men who fear God more than most. He numbered the people, uh, not to make a name for himself, but he numbered the people so he would know who is this people that I am seeking to lead. 
That's why we said church membership matters now to, to define yourself as part of the body of Christ in a local church. And then he began a public reading of the scripture, and not just on any day, on Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the Jewish civil new year, they gathered together and they read the scriptures out loud after not hearing it for years. People heard what they had never heard. And when they heard it, they literally started, do you remember this? Weep. And the leader said, stop, don't weep. Not because they shouldn't respond to it, but because it was a holy day. It was a day to remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so he stops them from the weeping of realizing their sin and how far they've strayed from their God. And they celebrate the goodness of God and his joy over them. And the next day, they read again. And they realize Wow, this is the seventh month. We are to celebrate a feast of tabernacles, a time where for seven days we live in like tents to remember when our forefathers lived in tents in the wilderness. And so with advanced preparation, they reinstitute the celebrating of the Feast of Booths, or it's sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles. And they remember God's faithfulness, God's provision, God's help, God's protection. God's leading of them. Which brings us now to chapter 9. And I'm going to start at the beginning. And it says, now on the 24th day of this month, so that's the seventh month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. Now Paul's there. You may think, oh, so there's another holy day? No, this is not a special Jewish day. This is a day, watch, that Nehemiah and Ezra decide our people, if we're going to be restored, we need a day set apart to interact with our God. It says, while they stood in their place, gathered, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. Pause again. The restoring of the broken and the burned. Restoration in your life and in my life, always connected to the word of God. Nothing wrong with reading other books. But there's one book above all. And I cannot, I've said like five times already in this service, cannot plead with us enough to recognize the power of the word of God to bring restoration and healing and transformation in our lives. When Nehemiah was committed to restore the people, at the center of it always was, let's read the scriptures. It's why we teach the scriptures and give so much attention to it as a church. It's why we want us to be reading it. They read for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So I want you to focus right here because this is how it's going to unfold. They did what? First they read, then they, am I blocking it? Then they confessed, and then they worshiped. That's really the outline for us. Chapter 9. They read in order that they would confess, that they would then result in worship. Says in verse, oh, excuse me, let me step back here. So, here's what we're gonna do. You'll look at chapter nine if you're open there. And and oftentimes you depend upon uh, what's up there. Let me encourage you. If you have a Bible, open up. It's gonna help specifically if you have the New American Standard Bible. Because we're gonna read all of chapter nine except for the last verse, which we'll pick up next week. We're going to read through it. And what it tells us in verse four and five is that there are people up on the stage. It doesn't tell us what they're doing, but uh, they're up there and they read. They may have done some interactive reading. I don't know that, but that's the way we're going to do it. So I'm going to ask three other folks, Matt, Tony, Tracy, come on up here. And we're going to read through this passage together. 
And we're going to do it this way because it's so long, it'd be easy to get lost in all the words. So here, I hope this will help you. Watch. I'm going to read what you might think of as the narrative of what God did for Israel. Then Matt is going to read how Israel responded to all that God did for them. And then Tracy is going to read how God responded to what Israel did in response to his goodness. And then Tony is going to read the last section because there is a now therefore, which is the reflection of what the people would be admitting to currently based on what we are reading is a thousand year history lesson. And it's going to be interactive, and I hope it's going to help you. So it starts in verse 5 with this. Oh, may your, uh, uh, arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And so uh, if it's not distracting to you, and, and if it's hard for you, you get lost standing, no problems. Just stay seated. But if you feel like you can, let's stand like they said, arise, So they stood and they listened. We will not go for a fourth of the day, I promise. (laughs) But if it's hard, really, no problem. Just stay seated. I would rather you give attention. That's the point of saying it. So do whatever helps you pay most attention. If you have a New American Standard, follow along in your Bible. If not, then maybe just follow the screen. Or it might even be helpful, just close your eyes and let the word of God, the voice of God, splash on your life, all right? So let's start middle of verse five. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him up out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, and the Amorite, of the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, to give it to his descendants. And you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them. So they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. And with a pillar of cloud... You led them by day and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you made known to them your holy Sabbath and laid down for them commandments, statutes and law through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger. You brought forth water from a rock for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen, did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. 
The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Hezbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land. Do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in your great goodness. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets, who you had admonished them, so that they might return to you. They committed great blasphemies. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion... You gave them deliverers who delivered them out of the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil before you. Therefore, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, your great compassion You did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with your great goodness which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today, and as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. All right, thank you. You may have a seat. So I hope... The reading in that manner helped you capture what was going on. Because imagine, they've all stood, they were all listening, and as various, again, it would seem various voices read for them, they heard a recurring story. Did you notice? It was a recurring story. Pretty simple recurring story, actually. It was a story of that since the beginning, because he starts in creation, since the beginning, he says, God has given and given and given. God has given and given and given. To who? To his people. 
That's, that's almost everything that, that I read in those long sections of the first, what was it, the, the first 15 verses, and then from verse 19 through 25. It's just about God giving, giving, and giving to his people. Did you capture? He chose them. He led them. He grew them. He delivered them. He fed them. He helped them. He protected them. God gave and gave and gave to them. And for us, so much more. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. And says, watch, he says, and if I've given you my son, how would I withhold any good thing from you? If you don't know Romans 8.32, you ought to write down Romans 8.32 because that's what I just said right there. Romans 8.32 says that if he has not withheld his son, how would then he withhold any good thing from us? When we say he has given, given, and given to his people, I mean like way more to us than he did even for Israel. He's given us his son to be our savior. And... Our ever living intercessor. And he's given us his spirit to teach us, to lead us, to convict us, to counsel us, and to help us. He has done and done and done for you. Yes? Yeah, the, the, the story, the story that we read is not just a, a history lesson. It's a history lesson that comes with a mirror to see ourselves and how good God has been to you. Would you imagine, you don't have a thousand years, some of you have more years than others, but you don't have a thousand years to recall. But it would do your heart good, I think, if you said, I'm going to write my own passage, how God has been good to me how he has provided for me, how he has protected me, how he has led me, how he has taught me, how he has helped me, how he has saved me. Could you write that? He has given and given and given to his people. Now watch. That was the vast majority of the psalm, but then it gets interrupted, or excuse me, this, this passage. It gets interrupted with what? Both times after the extended passages, I don't know if you captured this, both times after the extended passages, you get this, verse 16. Go back and look at it if you would. 15 verses of he's given, given, given. Verse 15, excuse me, 16. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became Stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. Then the long thing of what God has done, done, done in verses 19 through 25. And what's verse 26 say? But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law. Take this. Look up if you would for a second. That means they took their, their scriptures and did what? Threw it behind them. You might not be that aggressive. You might just let it sit on the dresser. Just threw it behind them. Folks, it's not only what they did. What's the history lesson come with? A mirror. God has been good, good, good. Given, given, given. And what have we done? Like them? Like them, we all have our own stories of being arrogant. He, he details them a bit. I won't ask you to detail, but you have a story of being arrogant to God? You may go, I'm not sure if I do. Okay, anytime you say this, I know, you, I know, I know your word says this, Lord, but, but it seems to me, but I think, I know it says forgive, 
but mm, it seems to me, I know it says love your enemies, but it seems to me that's arrogance. We've all had our moments of arrogance with the Lord, stiff-necked. And by the way, right now, I'm not even talking about how we relate to one another. That's a whole, that's a whole other passage. I'm just talking about our relationship with the Lord. Arrogant to the Lord, stiff-necked with the Lord, meaning, meaning what? Well, a stiff-necked person doesn't do what? Doesn't turn, stiff-necked. So the Lord speaks. And you're like, I, nope, not turning, nope, nope. Every one of us has stories where we know the Lord has prompted us. He's given us spirit to lead us. He prompted us and we were stiff-necked and disobedient. We weren't confused. We were disobedient. We... <laughs> we knew what he said about serving. We were just disobedient. We knew what he said about giving. We were just disobedient. There's no dressing it up. It's just plain old disobedience and unwillingness to listen. And unwillingness to listen can be active. You ever done this? Somebody's talking to you, you're like, la, 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 la. Maybe it was all in good fun, but there's a little bit, yeah, I don't want to hear this right now, da, 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 da. But unwillingness to listen can be a lot more passive. It can be the, uh, no, I just, I just don't, I don't ever open up the scriptures. I'm unwilling to hear his voice just by my passivity and not opening to hear. We all have our own stories. I have mine. Unwillingness to listen. Or then when I hear going, oh, but I don't want to do that, Lord. But there's a glorious third part to this passage. Did you capture it? I gave it the completely different voice so you wouldn't miss it. What was the, what's the third part? Well, it's repeated over and over. It's the nevertheless. It's the however. Uh, let me just read for us. Maybe with your scripture open, you can look at verse, middle of verse 17. Just says how we have acted, but, but what? But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Verse 19, you in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. Middle of verse 27, but when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven and according to your, here it is again, Great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. Verse 28, but when they cried again to you, you heard from heaven and many times you rescued them according to your, what? Compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. Verse 30, However, however what? They turned a stubborn shoulder, stiffened their neck, would not listen. That's how verse 29 ends. Verse 30, however, you bore with them for many years. Just pause for a moment. How many of us could not honestly go, that's true for me too. He has bore with me for many years. Sometimes I have to stop me personally and go, God, I cannot believe how patient you are with me. And then I have this recognition. I would never be that patient with somebody. 
Would you? Maybe, maybe, maybe you would. I would never be as patient with somebody as God is with me. He has borne with me many, many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets. This whole story, how's, how's it end before you get to the that, now therefore in verse 32? What's it end with? Verse 31, first word. Nevertheless, in your, here it is, your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. I have fallen in love with what they declared because it comes with this phenomenal mirror to me how God has given and given and given and given and given and given and given to me. How stubborn and stiff-necked and disobedient and selfish and arrogant Nevertheless, nevertheless, God has been great in compassion. See, I want us, I want us to not just know something this morning. I want us to feel something. I want us to feel the overwhelming sense of God has been compassionate. God has been patient. God has been slow to anger. Again, I'm not really a blow-up person. I don't yell and scream, but I burn on the inside. (laughs) And my wife and kids would say, it comes out my eyes. I said, we've never heard you yell at us, Dad, but your laser eyes burn us to the ground. And God, I've given him just thousands of times and reasons to burn me to the ground. He's been slow to anger, compassionate. What else? Forgiving. Did not forsake. And and not once, not twice, Not seven times, I think it was verse 25, many times, many times. Now, I don't want you to miss. <laughs> Do you, can you remember chapter 9, verse 3? What, what, what are the three things they did? First, they, like we just did. Read, then confess and worship. Do you understand what's happening here? What's happening here is Nehemiah and Ezra decide to tell a thousand year story of God's goodness, Israel's rebellion, and God's compassion in order to do what? In order to do what for, for this people right now? In order to, what they do next? To confess. This, this is all set up in order that they would see themselves in this thousand year history mirror and go, it's my turn. It's my turn in order that we would confess that we would not hesitate to see that God had been good and people were rebelling. He had been compassionate with them. He, he does this so that there would be this continually coming to God with confession. It's the intent then, it's the intent now as we read this, that we would see ourselves and who God is in the midst of our failures and it would lead us to confession. A fourth of the day to reading, and then a fourth of the day to confession and worship. See, 
Now, this is, this, this is speculation, what I'm about to say. It seems to me that they were ready, they were broken and convicted by their sin back on Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the seventh month. But because it was a holy day, they had said, stop, don't do this. But now the leaders who had said stop said, no, there needs to be a time. If we're going to be restored as the people of God, there needs to be a time where we do stop and confess our own, our own sin, our own failures. You see, uh, it's a little bit popular right now to look at the people in our past and confess for them, but be unwilling to confess for ourselves. And so I think Nehemiah and Ezra do everything that they did in this passage so that we would conclude God is compassionate, gracious, and forgiving. Let's not be reluctant to bring our own confession. Confession, now let's be more specific. Confession that is personal. Again, not somebody else's. So easy to see other people's sins. But not to confess my spouse's sins. <laughs> confess mine. Not to confess the sins of the congregation at Christian Family Chapel but to confess the sins of the pastor. See, it's personal. And it's honest. And specific. You may go back and look very specific. Not, maybe as a kid you were taught at the end of the day, before you go to bed, dear Jesus, please forgive me for all the sins I've done today. Amen. <laughs> There's something personal, honest, specific missing in that. Rather than Lord, I confess my impatience when I was driving, my unkindness. I wouldn't mean I just wasn't kind. My selfishness, how I was rude or greedy. I confess that I was ruled by fear. I love myself more than others. And maybe... Maybe most important confession that is without justification. And you may go, I don't know what you mean by without justification. But here, here's the key word. When we confess with justification, we confess and then we say things like, it's just I. Like Adam in the garden, what do you say? It's just that woman you gave me. Right? What Eve say? It's just that serpent that deceived me. What did Cain say? It's just that righteous brother of mine. Moses, it's just these rebellious people. I know I wasn't supposed to strike the rock, but these people. David, when he committed adultery, it's just she was, it says it right in the text. She was so beautiful. And Peter, it's just I was scared they were going to arrest me too. We all have our own, it's just. I, I was rude, it's just, it's just I was tired. Or I was stressed. I know I wasn't kind, but it's just, I'm lonely. It's just they hurt me so badly. 
It's just I wanted to fit in. It's just that it felt right or seemed right. It's just how I'm wired. It's just that I'm Italian. <laughs> or it's, it's just how my parents raised me. It's just what I saw growing up. It's just that people have abandoned me. You, you get it? It's, it's, yeah, we did wrong, but then we, we don't want to own it. We want to justify it. Or sometimes the, the justification doesn't qualify the confession. It nullifies the confession. It's that I don't confess because I was justified in it. I don't confess because they launched the hurtful words first. They started it. I didn't start it. I don't need to confess. I didn't start it. Now, you may have never said that to your spouse, but you thought that to the Lord. Maybe. Or maybe you thought, it's just not that big a deal. I know it's wrong, but it's just not that big a deal. My kids, you should see the other kids at high school. It's just everyone's doing it. I mean, really. Everybody takes stuff from their business. Everybody cheats on the reports. Everybody shares answers. Everybody fudges the numbers. It's just not that big a deal. It's just God knows I'm only human. I mean, he knows I'm going to sin. There's no point in confessing. Ever thought that? It's just I don't need to confess. He already knows. So why? Or maybe the biggest it's just of all of why we don't confess. It's just I know I'm going to do it again. So I've confessed and then I did it and then I confessed and I did it and I confessed and I did it. And I well, I'm just being real with God by not confessing. No? Hear me, friends. Restoration <laughs> for us as people begins with honest, personal, specific, without justification confession to our God. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And I think, I think there is sometimes so much reluctance just to confess to the Lord. And then even more reluctance to confess to other people. And so we live with this, just this great irony of, I have all these things that I know I fall short of in my life, and yet my confession is so limited and so general and so sporadic. And I wonder, where is my spiritual vitality? And I think, friends, the answer to where's our spiritual vitality is it's getting cut off because we've just grown too casual and too lax in the acknowledgement of our sin. And it may be because either we've justified it or we are genuinely not sure. Is God gracious still? Yes, I know he was for Israel. Yes, I know the thousand year story, but is he really gonna forgive you? Or is he going to? And so there's just no need to confess. So we live in this broken fellowship watch watch they read in order that they would confess in order that they would why would they worship 
because their God was indeed a gracious and forgiving, compassionate God who forgives and makes clean and refreshes the spirit. How many of us need a refreshed spirit? A, a, a new, like, I'm good with God. There's not this subtle kind of brokenness of we're existing together and I'm, I'm going to get to heaven because I trusted in Jesus. I prayed a prayer. But there's no real life. And, it, and it's here. It's here because the leaders went, if we're going to be the people of God, we have to recognize God has given, 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 and we've blown it, blown it, blown it, but he has been compassionate, compassionate, and compassionate, not forsaken. And so our hearts would be free to confess because, because we can come to God with confidence that he'll be compassionate, confidence that he'll be gracious, confident that he will be forgiving. See, if I, I hope you're putting this together. If I can't come to God with confidence that he'll be that, I probably won't come to God with confession. And so they read the thousand-year story so that the people would come with confidence in their confession so that they could read, confess, and worship. So why don't you bow with me and let's just take a, a quiet moment, quiet in terms of what our ears hear from one another, but not quiet before our God. In a moment, we'll have opportunity to lift our voices together in worship. But now is the time to lift our voice in confession. There's a sin that easily entangles you. Maybe you've grown weary of confessing it. Confess it now. He is faithful and just to forgive. He does set people free. He washes and makes clean. There's a sin that you just settled in with and it's just you think who you are. Confront that lie. Confess it. Confess that you've been made new in Jesus to walk in newness of life. And where the old things continue to linger in your mind, the old attitudes continue to be there, confess that attitude those thoughts whether you are actively or just passively refusing to listen to the Lord's voice would you confess that to him admit that you have foolishly given your ears to other voices more than his. God, thank you. Thank you for the sending of your son to take the punishment, the wrath that we deserve. Pour it on your son, our savior, so that we might receive the righteousness of God in Christ. The confidence that you are the one who forgives, who is compassionate, we worship you. What a merciful God. What a merciful God. 
I take such a call Settled at the cross I'd be lost But for a merciful God What a faithful God What a faithful God The promise-keeping Father Fount of living water I would want But for a faith Oh, we stand together Let's join our voices and declare Let's give Him praise Praise the Lord His mercy is more Stronger My sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. My sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Like every Sunday after each service, we have men and women who are available to pray with you. If that's somehow we could serve you and love you, um, they're there to do that. So I hope you do that. I want us to just end uh, with the scripture that the Lord brought to mind a little bit ago. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Have a great day. See you next time.